turn to Genesis 22, if you want to turn back there in your Bible. Um, we're going to spend some time now looking at God's Word. Um, but as we turn to the passage, I've just got to be really honest. It's a hard passage. Um, it's not a, a story that you can read lightly. Um, and I've been spending a number of weeks just urging us to put our hope in Jesus, to, to keep trusting him or to find new hope in him. Um, and that all sounds good until you read today's passage where it really does seem like God is asking, sacrif- God, uh, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um, and that just is really hard to conceive. We have, I mean, we, we planned this preaching series. We're just going to work our way through Genesis chapter by chapter. This was not planned in any way. And yet only in the last week or so, we've seen a baby die down on the Gold Coast. And as far as what I can piece together, it was partly because her father thought that this was what some religious desire, some religious practice sat behind it. It's horrible. And so I find myself struggling as I read this chapter, and I think there's two big reasons that sit behind my struggle. The first one is, God's test of Abraham seems cruel and arbitrary. It doesn't seem to be a reason for it. God just asks him to sacrifice his child. People just usually look at it and say, well, God must be sort of trying to find out how much Abraham loves God is basically giving him the choice between two things he loves and Abraham has to give up the thing that's less important than God. That just seems cruel. Uh, If that's the measure of how much you love God, you only truly love God if you're willing to, to sacrifice your child. I mean, people rightly ask, what kind of God is that? What kind of God would do this? And if that's what he expects, is he really deserving to be followed? If it was just an arbitrary, out-of-the-blue sort of expectation. So there's that. There's also the question, even if you come to the point where you say, okay, God has the right to do this and ask this question of someone, can I do it? It, It's still a difficult passage, isn't it? Because I know I wouldn't pass the test. In fact, I'd, I'd have to sort of be a sociopath to go ahead with, with... I just can't imagine it. So what do you do when you struggle with a Bible passage that seems to be asking horrible things of you? Well, my first rule of thumb is to go back and check the passage. Got to go back and reread it and understand it and make sure I'm understanding it right. And particularly one of my things that I do to myself is I slow myself down because I tend to stick myself first place in the passage and assume that whatever the hero is doing, that's what I'm expected to do. And I'm not sure that's the case in this, in this situation. So let's go back and look at this passage again. Let's remind ourselves this is about Abraham, who is a particular man in the history of God's people. He has a special purpose in God's plans. There's, there's lessons to be learned about what it means for me to trust God, but we're just going to have to take our time to get there. So how about I uh, take us through? First thing I want us to see is this is an extraordinary test. And by extraordinary, I mean horrific. Um, We're meant to be horrified. It's actually there in the way that the the events are recorded. Not just as educated modern people, but as an Israelite back then, you were supposed to be shocked and horrified by what what, what seems to be happening. Have a look at how the story is told. Three times it's emphasised for us that this is Abraham's only son. 
We are deliberately set in tension with what's being asked. Verse 2 even emphasizes that this is the son that Abraham loves. I mean, Abraham does have another son, Ishmael. But as far as this story is concerned, that doesn't matter. Only son, love son. Uh, Secondly, can you see how the story builds suspense? We, We start with a conversation with God telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. But we don't just go straight to the mountain. No, we, we watch Abraham load up the donkeys. We wait for him to travel three days with the donkeys. He drops off the servants along the way. All this time, we're just sitting there wondering, what is Abraham going to do? How is this going to work out? The suspense is just painful. And then, and then there's, on the way up the mountain, there's this just heartbreaking conversation between Abraham and Isaac. And the question is just so innocent in verse 7, isn't it? Father, the, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You don't write that sort of conversation down unless you want the reader to cry. I can't read this story without imagining walking up a mountain with my son, and I couldn't do it. I'd want to stop and turn around. This is a horrifying test. But that's the point. This is an extraordinary test. It's unusual, out of the ordinary, out of character for God. Because any Israelite reading this knows God would never test them in this way. He actually forbid it in his law. Uh, They were not allowed to sacrifice their children. You get it, um, just as the people of God are about to enter the land that God's promised them, um, God reminds them of what the law that he's given them is. That's Deuteronomy is second law. And it's this retelling of God's law to his people. Um, have a look at Deuteronomy 12, verse 31. Uh, God specifically says they're not to worship him like the other nations worship him. They are not to sacrifice their children because God hates it. Have a listen. You must not worship the Lord your God in the way of the other nations. Uh, because in worshipping their gods, they do not do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. The Israelites knew this. And so when they read this history of Abraham, they know this is an extraordinary test. This is out of character. Uh, there's one other thing too that makes this an extraordinary test. We've got to keep reminding ourselves this is Abraham. Uh, Genesis 12, uh, God said that he would bring blessing back to the world through this particular man. He's not just anyone. Uh, Chapter 17, we were then told that that blessing to the world was tied to his blamelessness, to his family's blamelessness. There is a particular expectation set up on Abraham's family and how that might unlock blessing to the nations. And you get it again here. So have a look down at verse 15 afterwards, after Abraham's Pass the test. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. So it's not a story about your obedience and my obedience first and foremost. 
This is a unique moment. This is the test for God's plan to bless the world through Abraham. Uh, it's really just so important to get that fixed in our mind because we, I, when I read the Bible, I just every time I'm reading a story, and especially, it's only the good ones I've noticed. It's when the, the, the key character is doing the right thing. I'm really tempted to get an eraser or just a bit of liquid paper, just cross out their name and write my name instead. You know, Russell went to, took the five stones from the creek and swung them round. And I, I want to be in the story. But this is not... My story, first and foremost, this is God's story working in particular people at particular times. Genesis 22 isn't about us. It's mainly about Abraham. So it's, it's an extraordinary test, extraordinary request. But what's being looked for is ordinary trust. Abraham is simply being asked to trust God's promises. That's what really is going on in the focus of this question. I know it seems like a big test, but we go back to what is actually he's supposed to be doing. H- have a look. Uh, think back, first of all. The problem with Abraham we're seeing again and again is he don't, doesn't trust God to keep his promise. So back in chapter 12, God made these huge promises immediately after he abandoned the land of promise and went down to Egypt. And when he did that, the nations were cursed. Pharaoh was cursed. Get it again in chapter 16. He and Sarai think they have a better plan for getting the promised child. They, they think they'll bring in Hagar and involve her. They don't trust God to keep his promise and Hagar's left crying in the desert. But in this chapter, when God seems to be taking away the child he promised, finally Abraham trusts God. It's, it's the same set of promises being played out And the key thing that Abraham keeps doing, it says it's a test to see if he fears God. What does it mean to fear God? It means he keeps saying he will trust God to provide. So the key moment is verse 8. and They're walking up the mountain. Uh, Isaac asks this question and Abraham says God will provide. Literally it is, God will see to it. Which is what Hagar said. This is the God who sees. He's trusting God to see, to provide. And then verse 14, after God provides the lamb, Abram's response is to call the mountain, God provides. Again, literally, God sees. The question is, will God provide? Will God see? Not how big a sacrifice can Abraham make? Uh, And you might find it hard to believe, but what's horrific about the sacrifice isn't so much that it's his son, It's the son that's going to achieve the promise. You think about it. If this son dies, the son that God said, I will give you a nation through him, well, what is God going to do then? His whole promise seems to have fallen apart. This is what Hebrew picks up to say, what does it mean to, to have faith? It means to hear God's promise and trust he'll deliver on his promise. That's faith. So have a look at Hebrews 11 verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when, tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac the offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You get it? The big issue here is will Abraham trust God to keep his promise? Uh, That is the, the real question. And so Abraham, as he's walking up the mountain, seems to be saying, look, I don't know quite how, but God is going to see to this. I trust that God, if he needs to raise you from the dead, Isaac, that's what he'll do. Now, so having said that, uh, this sort of trust is hard. Um, toddlers struggle with this. I've got my kids are getting a bit older now. I don't quite have the same problem, but it wasn't so long ago. You'd hand kids out, you know, those quelch ice blocks. And you know when you, you don't quite cut it straight, and so they can't get the ice block out? The problem is if they're really young, you've got to take the ice block back off them. And it's a very dangerous moment. <laughs> Because chances are they're not going to understand what's going on. They're going to get all upset and they end up in tears and all you wanted to do was to give them... But they don't know that. It feels to them that the icebox has been taken away. And that's what's going on for Abraham. God seems to be delivering the promise, but then suddenly it seems like God's taking it away. It's a hard test. And it's the same problem that Israel struggled with. Toddlers aren't alone. At time and again, they actually entered the promised land that God had given them. But the challenge they kept having was that nations would come and, and they'd oppress them and, and things would go wrong and it really didn't look like God was going to keep his promise. And they struggled. It was hard to believe. And I know I do the same. Now, I know God's promised me heaven, um, but whether it's circumstances, whether it's a feeling that the church could get wiped out and the wrong things go wrong in our society or whether it's just that feeling that gee my struggle with sin just seems to go on and on and on and this promise of heaven would god really keep that promise and i'm tempted to look elsewhere to solve the problem i'm, I'm tempted to lie i'm t- tempted to be selfish if i feel like my life's falling apart i look to money or success or power If I was in Abraham's shoes in this test, I know I'd fail. And look, usually Abraham did too. It's hard to trust that God will keep his promise. And that actually is where this story gets really interesting. Uh, Because what's extraordinary in this story isn't Abraham's trust, it's the God he trusts in. uh, I've got to keep reminding myself that in the days of Abraham, child sacrifice wasn't unusual. I mean, it was unusual for Israel but not unusual in other nations. Um, Other religions actually expected this to happen. There's actually a story in the Old Testament where one king is uh, fighting with Israel and losing, and so he he thinks, what do I do? And so he goes and he takes his son and he sacrifices his son because he wants to try and impress the gods, get the gods on side so that he can get the victory that he's looking for. Uh, This is what sacrifice is all about, isn't it? Sort of manipulating God so I can get what I want. But the God of Israel doesn't want child sacrifice, not even from Abraham. And so he steps in. He provides a substitute. And you can really hear the relief in Abraham's voice when he cries out, you are the God who sees. God saw this moment coming for Abraham. Abraham wanted to trust God, but he could not believe that that this was what God wanted. And God didn't want it. He didn't want it. God had a better plan. 
God saw Abraham's distress, just like he saw Hagar's distress, and he stepped in. And this is a very different picture of who God is. This is not the God that you manipulate through sacrifice. This is the God who sees our distress and he answers. He sees us depend on him and he answers prayer. And what's really interesting in this story is something that you and I would just read past. I have to find this in stuff in commentaries. But verse 2, have a look at verse 2. This is all going on in the region of Moriah. Now, name that just goes over my head, but Moriah, it turns out, the other place you hear about it in the Bible is when Solomon's building the temple on Mount Moriah. This is all going on on the mountain where the temple will be. And so, that's what makes verse 14 so significant. To, the day, to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be seen. On God's mountain, where God's temple is, he will see. This is what God's temple is all about. This is what, how relationship with God works. Not a place to go and make sacrifices to manipulate the gods. The place to turn to, to call on God for help. And, and then actually, you go to the moment when the temple's being built, and Solomon's standing there, and he has this huge prayer. And what does he pray about? Does he pray about all the sacrifices that are going to be made by the people and the way that they will need to show their, or manipulate their God to make him? No. Solomon gets up and says, God, when your people are in trouble, and they turn to this place and pray, hear from heaven and, and answer. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will, be, you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. God doesn't want to be appeased by sacrifices. He wants us to trust him. Uh, Spurgeon has a, a story he tells uh, about uh, a king and one of his servants one day um, gives him a, a, a gift. I think it was a donkey. A poor servant gives him a donkey. And in response, the king uh, gives him some significant uh, gifts, really gives him honour within the kingdom. And there's another servant of the king sitting nearby, and he thinks, hmm, not a bad plan. And so he goes away, and he, he gets himself five or six horses and brings in a much bigger uh, gift to the king. And the king says, thank you very much, you're very kind. And, and the, the servant's sort of a bit dumbfounded. And raises the concern with the king. And the king says, well, uh, he did it because he loved me. Uh, you did it because you wanted the gift from the king. There's two ways to have a relationship with God. You can, you can focus on the sacrifice you're making for him. Or you can trust him. And trust him to provide for you. And the thing I find is that I meet a lot of bitter people because they've focused on the sacrifices they've made for God rather than letting the sacrifices just flow out of trusting God in every situation. Uh, maybe it was that they had to give up a girlfriend. Uh, maybe it was money they lost. Uh, the thing is that whatever happened, they, they made this sacrifice that they, they, they thought, okay, if I make this sacrifice, God, you'll, you'll come through. And then when he didn't, they felt cheated. Our sacrifices need to flow out of just a consistent trust of who God is. Um, it, it, yeah, it needs to be the product of our trust, 
not the aim to manipulate God to my plans and my purposes. Um, and I think that's really important for us to hear as, as a church community and looking to share the gospel here. Um, we will have to make some sacrifices, won't we, in order to share the gospel and to see the church grow. Um, we, we can't, we're not going to be able to just keep running church and, and just hope people turn up. We're going to have to really work hard to make connections in the community. Those sacrifices, we can do them sort of trying to twist God's arm and grow a church or we can simply take the chance to trust God, trust his gospel that he can change lives and just take the chances where they come, make the sacrifices where we're able to so that Jesus can be known and trust him for the results. The focus of this passage isn't Abraham's sacrifice. It's ordinary faith, ordinary trust in an extraordinary God. But, but that's the thing. Because it's focused on faith, it actually leads us somewhere further. See, in the end, Abraham's test was unique. Um, he is the person whose obedience was going to unlock blessing for the nations. And that doesn't stop with us trying to obey God. It goes through the history of Israel because time and again Israel failed to trust God in this way. It goes all the way to Jesus, who is the guy who blamelessly trusted God, obeyed him no matter what. So here's uh, that passage we read earlier from Hebrews 10. Whoops, sorry. Uh, Let me just make sure. No, I'm flipping in the wrong place. There we go. Um, Have a look how Jesus showed that God wants trust, not sacrifice. Uh, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And so Jesus simply trusted God all the way to the cross through death. And his trust brought us eternal life. Um, Jesus' sacrifice flowed out of his obedience. He was the one who unlocked blessings for the nations. Abraham has been told, if, if one of your family, your offspring, trusts me, then all nations will be blessed through you. And that's what the cross did. And so look, this morning, the biggest thing I can encourage you in is not to urge you to trust God more and to find that extra bit of faith. The best place I can go is to say, when you hear the sacrifice that Abraham made and you go, I don't know if I could do that, that's a great time to turn to Jesus and find that he has and he can and you can trust him. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you Uh, that you are the God who sees and you weren't looking at the size of Abraham's sacrifice, trying to be expecting him to impress you. Uh, You were looking for trust, that you'd keep your promises and you did that in Jesus. Please help us to keep putting our hope in Jesus and learning what it is to trust you in every circumstance, to even make sacrifices, not to impress you, but simply because we know you will keep your promise. Uh, you will change lives, our lives and the lives of many people in the southern Redlands area. And we pray you keep doing that for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. Are we going to sing uh, how deep the Father's love for us is?
And then after that, I'll get up and do some uh, closing announcements. Would you stand? <laughs>